Well, good morning, and uh, welcome to Wallace Bible. Glad you're here. My name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, glad to be with you today. Hey, uh, what a dreary day, huh? You know, I want to tell you about another dreary day uh, in a moment here as we get going, but one thing I realized, I set this here to remind me, um, if you weren't here for Doctrine Wednesday this week, there's a whole packet of info, and there's a whole bunch of them still out on the Connect Desk, if you're interested in info about the Reformation and some things that happened that really affect you uh, 500 years ago, feel free to grab one of those. There's a, there's a ton of them left, um, but feel free to grab one on your way out. Also, two weeks from today, we'll be commissioning our India team as they head out. They fly away two days, two weeks from tomorrow, and that includes me. And um, so there's six of us heading out, and we'll be gone for 10 days. We'll or 12 days, I guess. We'll leave on Monday. We'll come back the following Friday. And uh, we'll be uh, teaching. All of us will be involved in teaching at a, a pastor's conference for over 600 nationals in India who, who serve in local churches. Uh, I'll be preaching five or six times. You can pray for me as I continue to prepare. And then we'll also be visiting the orphanage that, uh, we're vis- that we support, that you support. And uh, we'll go and uh, we're going to be taking Christmas gifts to them. Uh, we're going to be taking uh, some volleyball nets, some games, uh, all that sort of stuff to them as well. But if you want to be a part of that, and uh, there's a few ways you can be a part. One, you can give to support one of the boys. There's 75 boys in the orphanage, and it costs about $20 a month to care for them. And uh, there's, there's opportunity to support more boys. And if you want to wait till we get back to do that, we're going to come back with pictures and a little bio on each of the boys. And so that'll be kind of fun for you to get to know them. Um, also, uh, you can support those who are going in your stead. They're representing you. You know that, right? As we go to India. And their cost, by the time you add up their visas and their immunizations and everything else, is right in the $1,400 ballpark. And so if you want to give towards that and help them, uh, you can just mark your gift as India team. And again, if you know, many of you have expressed, hey, I want to give more to missions. I want to see us do more. Here, here's your opportunity. Uh, here's a great opportunity to send people from your church out in ministry on mission. Um, also, uh, you can uh, give to uh, support the boys and their Christmas gifts. We're giving them a new pair of shoes, a new change of clothes, and some candy. And it costs about $30 per child. And so there's opportunity for you there to give. And you can just mark that India Christmas. But in any of those, uh, there's no compulsion for you unless the Holy Spirit's working on your heart. Uh, but if you want to, boy, uh, if you're ever wondering, where can I give to missions? Here's a great, great opportunity and one that you will personally see return on investment for because you'll hear some of the stories and you'll know some of the people going. So I uh, encourage you to consider that. Well, I mentioned today is uh, just a bit of a dreary day, isn't it? I mean, it's even darker in here and we only have a couple windows from outside that pour into this room. Um, I guess some of that's because some of those lights don't turn on anymore, but most of it's because of the weather outside. Um, you know, uh, 500 years ago, there was a dark and dreary day when a monk, uh, or he wasn't a monk yet, uh, a man, a young man by the name of Martin Luther was on his way home. And uh, he was studying to become a lawyer. His dad was a miner, and his dad worked in the mines for a living, and, and he was determined uh, his father was determined his boys were going to have a better life. And so he wanted uh, one of his boys, in particular Martin, and others to go and get a degree in law, which would be promising and would get him into a, a different social class and uh, increase his lot in life. 
And at one point, Luther's coming home, and an incredible storm arises. I was reminded of it a little bit sitting in my office this morning. Wind was blowing. I was waiting for the roof to pile off. It sounded like something was flapping. I need to go check outside my office on the outside of the building. So I'm not sure. Um, Maybe something left. I'm not sure either. But uh, he was walking home, and it was an incredible lightning storm. And one bolt of lightning in particular hit incredibly close to him and scared him to death. And and he prayed at that point. Actually, he prayed to a saint that uh, I I can't remember which one. I want to say St. Anne, but I'm not... I'm not real clear. Is that right? And uh, prayed to her and said, uh, if, if God would get me out of this, I'll give my life to being a monk. And he made it home safely. And then uh, he quit uh, doing law school. And, he, and within two weeks, he was uh, enrolled to become an Augustinian monk. His father wasn't real happy with him. Um, I can share that story a little bit, my own story, just when I left uh, studying architecture to go into ministry. I don't think my father was real happy with me either at the time. He was worried for me. How are you going to provide for yourself? Um, But Luther then uh, had an incredibly tender conscience. He was terrified because of the teachings of the church at that time that unless he did everything he could to get right with God, uh, there was no way God was going to show grace and mercy to him. And in fact, the more he studied the, God's word and the more he uh, understood things, the more he realized, there, there's, the more he considered it, there's no way that God's ever going to show grace to me. I've, I've got so much sin that I have to confess. I've got so many good things that I have to do in order to earn God's favor. Because the, the church at the time, and um, honestly, not just at the time, uh, but let me read to you from uh, the catechism of uh, the Catholic Church, which was the church at the time, uh, reads, these are some, some quotes directly from the catechism. I'll give you the page numbers later if you like. But that initial justification, one is by means of water baptism, that you get baptized to get justified, and then it's furthered by observance of sacraments and good works. To be justified, to be made right with God, you have to do good works, in other words. And that it can be lost by committing a mortal sin. Uh, salvation, it said, is a lifelong process before you would get saved. And participation in the sacraments is necessary for the continued infusion of grace. And God's grace, this grace is earned by doing good works. Therefore, suffering in purgatory is required to atone for sin and cleanse the soul. And eternal life is something that humans earn. And there is no salvation outside of the Roman Catholic Church. Well, Luther, being a monk, uh, knew these things and other teachings of the church, and he was terrified because he knew the weight of his sin and that he never could do good enough to be made right with God. And so he had to continue confess. And he would actually go to his priest at the monastery, and he would confess his sin, and it would get to the point that he would confess every tiny little thing he could think of. And then he would leave, and then halfway back to his room, he'd turn around and go back and confess three or four more other things he forgot about. It got to the point that the priest who was hearing his confession finally said, Martin, don't don't come back until you have something uh, legitimate to confess. If anything, go out and and do a a real sin, like uh, murder somebody or commit adultery or enough with this, you know, just little stuff. I didn't quote that exactly, obviously. That's just from memory. But that's the gist of what he said. 
So don't write that down and say, here's what he said. Um, the story is true. Well, Luther eventually uh, studies God's word more and uh, he comes to realize as he's studying God's word that no, uh, salvation isn't based on my works or what I do or what, um, how much I confess. It's based on what Jesus has done for me. And it's not something I earn. It's something that's given freely to me and that I simply receive. Uh, he ended up going on to write some things uh, like this. He said, one, you saw this quote already, one is not righteous who does much, but the one who without work believes much in Christ. The law and religion says, do this, and it's never done. But grace says, believe in this, and it's already done. The faulty idea that a person can be holy by himself denies God the pleasure of saving sinners. God must therefore first take the sledgehammer of the law in his fist and smash the beast of self-righteousness and its brood of self-confidence, self-wisdom, and self-help. And when the conscience has been thoroughly frightened by the law, it welcomes the gospel of grace with its message of a Savior who came not to break the bruised reed nor to quench the smoking flax, but to preach glad tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, and to grant forgiveness of sins to all the captives." You have this quote on your insert. Sin is not canceled by lawful living, by good living, for no person is able to live up to the law. This would have been in complete contradiction to what the church taught at the time. The law reveals guilt, ills the conscious with terror, and and drives men to despair. Much less is sin taken away by man-invented endeavors. He's meaning things like penance and indulgences. And sacraments. The fact is, the more a person seeks credit for himself by his own efforts, the deeper he goes into debt. Nothing can take away sin except the grace of God. In actual living, however, it's not so easy to persuade oneself that by grace alone, in opposition to every other means, we obtain the forgiveness of our sins and peace with God. Well, this morning we're going to talk about the third sola, sola gratia, or grace alone. And, and Sola Gratia affirms that, the, that salvation is by God's grace alone. It's the free and unmerited gift of God to a sinful human world, and it's received solely by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. No human effort is sufficient to earn any portion of God's favor for salvation. It is solely, completely, and exhaustively a gift of God, wholly unable to be earned. I hope to make that truth clear to you this morning. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, which I believe is really the clearest passage of Scripture that teaches this truth among many. But I believe this one may be the clearest. So let me read the text with you, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to unpack it together. And uh, I hope to communicate well what it means that we're saved by grace alone and what God's grace really entails. Let's read together. Paul writes this, he says to the church in Ephesus, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, 
being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus, and I thank you for his work for me and for us on the cross. Uh, Lord, this is a truth I know I was taught at a young age and taught many times, but really never made sense to me until I was older and in some ways never uh, really uh, fully exploded in my mind, even until I was already in ministry. Jesus, would you help me to communicate the truth well? That those who uh, maybe have, have been in the church their entire life uh, would, would see it afresh and know your grace to them with confidence. And those who've, who've never heard this before or uh, who have a faulty idea of what it means, Jesus, to follow you would Uh, That Holy Spirit, you would remove the veil from their eyes and from their hearts today and that they would know your grace. I pray against the enemy, uh, his servants, their works and effects, the ways that he lies to us and tells us that somehow we we can and must earn your favor. It can never be done. Jesus, you've done it for us. Help me to communicate that well, that truth. That's the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's unpack this passage together. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. He starts out like this, Paul says, uh, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Tell me, you were what? So how alive were you? Um, How many good deeds can a dead man do? How many? None. I've never, I've never um, gone to the cemetery and and seen like the the list of good deeds growing on someone's tombstone. You know, he was a good father and, but he was kind of a jerk. And then 10 years later, but he really wasn't a jerk. Look at what he's doing now. After you're dead, if you're dead, you are dead, right? No life. Nothing there. In fact, uh, the Bible teaches that uh, the wages of sin is death. That the reason we die is because of our sin. And not just that we die physically, but we are already dead. We're born dead spiritually. Uh, uh, Owning uh, inherent sin. That we are by nature sinners. We're messed up. And it all goes back to Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. I told you about Charlie off and on. It's going to get to the point where I have to quit telling stories about him because he'll be old enough to, 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 uh, to get upset with me about it. But at this point, I can still tell stories. He's, he's going to be two in December, right? Um, I've never taught him to hit me or to hit his mom. But he does it sometimes when he's angry and frustrated. I've never taught him to uh, throw his fork when he doesn't like what's on his plate. Hannah hasn't either that I know of. I don't know what they do at home during the day, but I don't think she's teaching him to do that. We've, we've never taught him to do that. 
We've, we've never taught him to get angry with us when he doesn't get his way. We've never taught him to uh, get really quiet when he's doing something he, know he, shouldn't, he knows he shouldn't be doing. Usually if the house gets quiet, that means there's trouble brewing somewhere, right? Many of you know this. We've never taught him that. Where did that come from? Well, he's a sinner. He's sinful. He's in need of grace. He's in need of Jesus, just like I am and just like his mom is, just like you are. And the reality is the Bible teaches this truth that we have all earned and deserve because of our sin, God's wrath. And the Bible describes this as being spiritually dead. And in fact, it describes uh, a second death when after you die physically, if you haven't been born, as Jesus said, born again, or literally born from above, um, there's coming a day where you will experience a second death, spending eternity under the punishment of God's wrath for your sin. Now, many, some of you, you've heard that many, many times, right? And you're like, yeah, that's, that's true. But have you ever thought about it? Have you ever thought about how long eternity is? Like your uh, 70, 80, 90 years on this earth is like a blip. It doesn't, it doesn't even show up on the timeline of eternity. And because of your sin and because of my sin, that's what I deserve. Revelation describes it. It's it's not something that I'm punished for a while and then I'm annihilated. No, no, no. It says the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. It's unending. Do you know why? Because if you're going to satisfy God's wrath, you can never do it. This was the torment of Luther's soul. You can never do enough good things or or even pay enough in penalty to, to fully suffice and fully pay for your sin. And I know that's a horrible truth, but it's true. If you die apart from Jesus' grace, you'll spend eternity under his wrath. Eternity in hell. And hell is hot and it's awful and eternity is a long time. We have all earned and deserved God's wrath. Look, that's what the text says. This isn't me making this up. See, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. In other words, Satan. If you're not following Jesus, guess who you're following? The enemy. Like, no, I'm not. I don't, I don't you know, I don't, like, wear black and worship Satan. Yeah, but if you're not following Jesus, guess who you're following? The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 3. You're a child of God's wrath. And see, you're like, yeah, but you don't know. know, But come on, Josh. I mean, I've done some pretty good things. I've done some pretty good things in my life. I... You know, the good really kind of outweighs the bad. Well, and it, you know what? I don't think it does because guess what the standard is? The standard's perfection. First Peter 1 says, uh, it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That means totally set apart from sin. No sin. Have you ever sinned? You ever done something wrong? It takes one thing. 
You don't believe me? Well, James chapter 2 says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point becomes guilty of all of it. Even if by some uh, impossible means you have only sinned one time, it's enough to earn your damnation in hell for eternity. You're a child of God's wrath. For all, Galatians 3.10 says, who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in this book of the law and do them. Whoever doesn't do everything that's in God's word, you're cursed. Jesus himself said, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he talks about anyone who would break the law would spend eternity apart from God's grace under his wrath. See, the truth of the matter is we've all missed the mark. That's what sin literally is. It's missing the mark. Like if you ever have archery class or an archery lesson, like as part of PE in high school, we did, and you'd shoot it, and I was terrible at it. I was awful. You never want to take me bow hunting. Stand behind me if you do, because I was not good. And I, I, let alone miss the mark, like, right, you want to hit the bullseye? I, I barely ever hit the target. I was terrible, just awful at it. And uh, maybe I'd be better now. I don't know. Maybe it was just bad equipment. But nonetheless, I was not good. I'll blame that. Got to be the shoes. But see, our sin, we missed the mark. And the mark, the standard's perfection. And so if the standard's perfection, guess what? If you're off by 0.000001 degrees, you're off the mark. Because perfection is what's required. Uh, Romans chapter 3 maybe says this as clearly as any passage. As it's written... Starting in verse 10, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands, Paul writes. He says, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside and together have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat, listen, this describes us, loved ones, before you've trusted Jesus. Your throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In in their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And although the law and the, and the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Loved ones, I... You and I deserve hell. Verse 4, though. But God. I'd circle that in your Bible if you got a real copy instead of a digital one like me. But God. 
Let's look, at, look what it says about him. Him being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Let's unpack that a little bit. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Do you know what mercy is? Grace and mercy, I've described it often, are two sides of the same coin. Grace is when I get what I don't deserve. I get unmerited favor from God. I didn't deserve it, but he gave it to me. Mercy is just saying it the other way. I don't get what I do deserve. God being rich in mercy didn't give me what I deserve. He didn't give me hell. Because why? Well, because of the great love with which he loved me. Even when I was dead. Do you know what that means? That means it's totally a gift. Because Paul says, God showed his mercy to me when I was dead. Now, let's think of a story of somebody in the Bible who is dead that God showed mercy to. Ever hear uh, John chapter 11 of a guy named Lazarus? Lazarus, how dead was he? Fully dead. Not like Monty Python, not mostly dead. Totally dead. He'd been wrapped up in the grave for days, right? And uh, now when Jesus got there and he said, take away the stone, did Jesus go to Lazarus and he did, did he say this? Did he say, Lazarus, I love you. I'm gonna raise you from the grave, but do me a favor, just wink for me once so I know that you really, you know, this is, this is gonna work. Or wiggle your finger. You know, I know you're wrapped up. I guess I can't see you blink, but wiggle your finger. Wiggle, do something. Why, why wouldn't he do that? Lazarus couldn't do it. He was dead. He was dead. Lazarus had no part in Jesus raising him from the grave. Just like you and I, when God showed his mercy to us, guess what we were? Dead. So guess what? You can't blink at him. You can't wiggle your finger to try to get his attention and prove that, yeah, uh, do, you can't do anything to add to it. It's all a gift of his grace. He says, and he he raised us up with him and seated us with him, verse 6, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Grace is God's favor. And uh, see, we've all sinned and deserved God's wrath, but his grace alone has changed our status. His grace alone has changed our status from being children of wrath to being children of God. Now, the reality is there's two options for you and I to get our status changed. Are you with me? Because your status originally is child of wrath, under God's wrath. And there's two options for you to have your status changed. The first option is this, for you to achieve your new status. This means I do enough good works. I go to church enough, I confess enough of my sin, I give enough, I get involved enough, um, I, I confess enough, whatever it is, I do enough, I achieve it, I earn it. 
There's only one problem with that. The standard for you to earn it is perfection. You'll never earn it. And not just in your deeds, but in your thoughts. <laughs> Jesus said that even if a man lusts after a woman in his heart, he commits adultery. I've never had to go through it to act. Just had to think about it. <laughs> That's bad news. But there's a second option. The first option is that I achieve it. The second option is that I receive it, that it's given to me. Like a gift at Christmas, I told you a couple weeks ago, right? Like I just receive it. I just open it. It's just, it's given to me. So the first option is I achieve it. The second option is I receive it. Which one is true? Well, let me tell you that the first option is a lie. It's the lie of the enemy from the very beginning in the garden. Adam and Eve were were created in God's image. They were like him in a certain respect. And what the enemy does in the form of a serpent, he goes to the woman and he says, "Did, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And she said, no, we can't eat from one tree. And if we eat of it, we'll surely die. Oh, you won't die. If you eat of it, you'll be like God. If you do this, you'll achieve likeness with God. Now, what was already true? They already bore his image. They were already like him. They had nothing to earn. They already had an identity to go live out. And that's the lie from the very beginning. Satan's always telling you, well, if you do enough good things, maybe God will show you favor. If you serve in enough ways, if you give enough things, if you confess enough of your sin, if, 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 if you do, 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 and you achieve it, and that's a lie. The truth is that you receive it. See, not only is it, is it a lie, um, it's religion. That's what religion is. It's, it's do all these good things. This means I live rightly to become worthy. And guess who it all depends on? Me. See, this is what Luther thought on that day when he's walking and the lightning bolt strikes by him. And he thought, it all depends. And, and for a while after that, it all depends on me. And if it all depends on me, he got to the point where he said he hated God and his, this just God. He hated him. But now let's go to the truth. The truth of the matter is, no, your salvation isn't earned. It's a gift of God so that nobody can boast. What do you do with a gift? Do you buy a gift for yourself? Sometimes in our weird culture you do. But a true gift is what? Received. It's received. It's something you just simply accept. You didn't do anything to earn it. You can't pay, if it's, if it's truly a gift, you can't pay them back for it either. And you never have to give it back because it was given to you. You didn't earn it. And if you didn't earn it, you can't lose it. It's totally undependent on you. Do you know what this is called? This is called the gospel. Good news. Because the bad news is that even if I sin in my mind, I'm condemned. But the good news is Jesus lived a perfect life for me. He died on the cross for my sin in my place. And he took my sin and gave me his righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin so that I could have the righteousness of God. Luther called it the wonderful exchange or the great exchange. And uh, then I live for good works. The end of this passage says, let's roll in today. I was created for good works after I've been saved. And this is wholly dependent on Jesus, not on me. 
Do you see the difference? I've got a little video clip here that I think may help you see it even in another way. Next. File, please. Mm-hmm. Some lying, some stealing, and some acts of kindness here and there. I tried to live a good life. Well, let's see how good. This way. Next. Bio, please. Okay, I admit it. I did a lot of bad things. Yes, I see. But I've done good things, too, you know, to offset the bad things. Like, one time, I cheated on a test, but then I cleaned up trash in the park. Mm-hmm. That should balance out, right? Let's find out. This way. That should have balanced out, right? It should have balanced out. Next. Bio, please. Impressive. Oh, yeah. I devoted my entire life to making this world a better place. I dug wells in Africa. I donated blood every month. And I ran an orphanage in India. I mean, I just wish I could have done more. Mm-hmm. And is this your subscription? I only read the articles. I only read the articles. Next. My mom goes to church. I was baptized as a baby. Take American Express, right? Next. File, please. Whoa. Somebody's been busy. Well, let's get this over with. Sorry, um, I didn't know he was with you. Okay, step on the scale. Not you. Him. Hey, wait a minute. That is totally not fair. That's why it's called grace. Next. That explains it pretty well, doesn't it? It's totally undependent on you. It's totally dependent on Jesus. Like Nothing on you. Now, Luther, in that quote, said that's the, one of the hardest things in the world to believe because by nature, living it out, I, I want to I do something. I want it to be dependent on me some way, shape, or form. But the reality is it's simply not. Uh, on the front of your insert, I kind of I gave an outline of what it looks like, what Jesus accomplishes for you on the cross. We covered this a couple Sundays ago, but just one more time again to, to help you understand it, is that Jesus really accomplishes two things for you. One, he atones, he satisfies God's wrath. The wrath you and I deserve for sin. 
Jesus was, the theological term is the propitiation, the propitiation. He, he took the punch of God's wrath for me. And because of that, then the father looks at me and he declares me righteous, like the little file folder, child of God. And all of my sin is no longer counted against me. In fact, it's forgotten. It's gone. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm, I'm justified. I'm declared righteous. I don't earn it. I don't, I, I'm just declared that by the Father because of Jesus' work on the cross. The next thing Jesus does for me is not only is he the atonement of, of, for God's wrath, but he's the one who redeems me, who sets me free. He sets me free. He sets me free to live a life that's honoring to him and right before him. And the Holy Spirit then uh, moves in my heart in such a way that I choose to believe this truth. Not that I do anything, but I believe it. And so really when you think about it, even the fact that the Spirit nudges me towards belief, there's really nothing even in my belief and in my faith that I do. It's all an act of God. It's all an act of His grace, and I simply believe it, and I'm saved. Nothing to add to it. Nothing to be paid later. All of it is a gift of grace. Jesus described it in John chapter 3. He said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, born from above, literally, right? Now, if you were dead and you have to be born again, how many of you, the first time you were born, chose uh, the time and place you were born and chose your parents and you picked all that out? Anybody? No hands. You can't choose it, right? Because why? You you weren't alive yet. You can't pick that. It's just by God's grace, you have life. But it's the same way with new life. It's all by God's grace. When you're born again, uh, you have no part in it other than to believe. And that's a hard thing to believe, but it's the truth of the gospel. And... uh, what, what God's grace does for us then, Jesus, he frees us. He frees us, uh, part three of our message this morning, he freed us from death to live a life that's pleasing to God. See, look at the end of Ephesians, this chapter, or this uh, passage, at verse 10. Paul writes, for we are his workmanship. He did it. We're created in Christ Jesus. And really, I think he's saying created anew here. In Christ Jesus for good works. You're, you're, you don't do good works to, uh, to earn God's favor. You do good works because you've been given God's favor. That's a huge difference. You were, you were created, you were given new life in Christ Jesus for good works. This is why you are saved. You are saved to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Colossians 1, Paul writes, he says, And so from the day we heard, we haven't ceased to pray for you. Verse 9, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing every bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You were created to do good works. Don't buy into the lie that your good works are somehow going to earn God's favor. They're not. They're not. If you've trusted in Jesus and you have his grace, Jesus earned God's favor toward you. And so now you can go live a life of good works in response to his favor toward you with a clean conscience, with a pure heart, 
and it'll be honoring to the Lord. And, and here's what this results in, loved ones. God's grace, you know what it results in in, in in terms of our living out these good works? It results in Jesus' glory, which we're going to talk about in a couple weeks, soli deo gloria. It results in others' good, and it results in your joy. Because you're living out, you're, you're, you're doing good works, not under a burden to try to get God to love you, but out of a response of joy because of what he's already done for you. It's living out your identity. Paul writes, whatever you do, Colossians 3.17, in word or deed, in every, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Philippians 2, let each of you look uh, not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. And Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with, with all joy and peace and believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope through you. Amen? Now this grace, how do you get it? <laughs> well, I've already told you, it's only received through faith. You can go to church your whole life. You can become a missionary and go overseas. You can serve on the board. You can become a pastor. And apart from putting your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone, you will never, never, ever do enough to earn God's favor. You will always, forever fall short. But God, his grace alone has changed your status. So trust him, believe we're going to talk more about this next Sunday, but it's through faith alone is the way you attain this grace and attain this salvation. Not through good deeds, not through sacraments, not through penance, not through anything else, but your faith and your belief and trust in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take our offering and then remain seated after we take our offering. And uh, the elements for communion will be coming uh, shortly behind that. So just remain seated until we're done taking communion this morning. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus, and thanks for your grace to us through him. Um, Lord, I pray this morning that those who, uh, really for all of us, that we just we'd leave with a greater understanding of your grace, a greater understanding that there's nothing we can do to earn your favor, that we can literally never do enough. And I pray that that would be freeing to people today, Jesus, as it was to me. Free them from the burden of feeling like they have to figure it out on their own or that they have to do enough. And instead, uh, help them to embrace the good news, Jesus, uh, that you have paid it all. Law and religion says, do this. Grace says, believe this, as Luther wrote, and it's already done. I pray for those who've maybe never heard that truth until today. Uh, Holy Spirit, uh, would you give them faith to believe it and to trust Jesus and... Uh, Help them live in freedom from this day forward. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray all of this through him. Amen.